0: Welcome to Lost or Found, the podcast where we think about what can be possible in our lives. And now here's the host of the show, Dr. Michelle Choi. Hello, welcome to Lost or Found. This is your host, Dr. Michelle Choi. Today we have Dr. Rakesh Jothwani, an internal medicine doctor who goes by Dr. Rock to talk with us about his own journey of transformation and how he transformed his mind and body through lifestyle changes as he's also currently on the mission to help others. Today, he'll speak about the powerful changes that we can all make to our own bodies, which has the potential to be curative as it prevents and reverses the overwhelming chronic disease that exists in the world. We live in a world now where hypertension, obesity, high cholesterol, diabetes is not shocking news. And this is only the beginning. In my opinion, I think it should always be shocking because we do not have to go there. And there is so much that we can do about it. I really mean it. It's hard But we can all take control of our lives with persistence and the right guidance. And I've mentioned this before, but I'm on this journey as well, daily. And I have a lot of blips as I continuously get myself back on the train of health. Because I don't want my journey to go where I don't want it to go. It's not a diet, it's seriously a lifestyle how we can choose to live. And I totally agree with Dr. Rock. Food is medicine. Movement is medicine. Breath is medicine. Sleep is medicine. And guess what? Love is medicine. So maybe this is a hard topic right before the holidays. But before we ever commit to doing something, it's good to plant that seed in our head, to just think about, to ponder. Sometimes to keep on pondering to see if it's right for us, for when we are ready. This is called fighting for our lives, and not just taking a medicine when it happens. There are many illnesses that we can prevent. I mean this. And this is one of the big reasons why I left primary care, because of all the things that we were not saying as providers, and the lack of proper guidance for our patients. Anyway, I hope that you're inspired by his message. And if you're interested in a lifestyle medicine doctor, Dr. Rock sees patients remotely, and you can check out his website at rockyourlife.org. Welcome to Lockster Found, Dr. Jothwani. It's so wonderful to have you on the show today.
1: Michelle, uh, it's wonderful to be on your show. Thank you for inviting me.
0: (laughs) And I'm really excited about our conversation. But would you mind telling our audience about yourself?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, So I am a physician, um, also father of three kids. Um, I live in the Bay Area. I live just slightly south of San Francisco. Originally from outside of Chicago, born and raised, uh, son of uh, Indian immigrants, and uh, my parents came over in my dad came over in the late sixties. My mom in the early seventies. I practice something called lifestyle medicine. So, and how I got there is, is maybe something we'll talk about, but. Lifestyle medicine is that, is using lifestyle changes as medicine. So it's the research-backed or evidence-based approach of using lifestyle changes to treat, prevent, and even reverse most of the chronic disease we take care of. So 80% of the chronic disease we take care of is probably caused by lifestyle factors like the food we eat and movement or lack of movement and stress and sleep quality and connection and things like that.
0: But I think, you know, in order to do something that's really going to be maybe hard and good for you, your mindset really does have to change. Totally, totally.
1: It actually starts with your mindset. Starts with your mindset because everything then your reality is created by your actions, right? So your consistent actions are what create your reality. What, what leads, you know, what underlies your consistent actions, your habits? Your, your habits are that these are programmed. We do things habitually because we are responding to pa- habits, habitual patterns that we've been programmed. And this may be like for food, this is probably often because there's addictive components of the food. So we're responding to our addictions to sugar or to saturated fat. Um, and then these just run, our body starts to expect these things. Our body starts to expect. So where does mindset come into play with all of this? Well, we do have the ability to interrupt those patterns. It's not like we are completely destitute and, and have to succumb to these patterns all the time, right? We have the ability to interrupt those patterns. Um, but first, you have to be aware of those patterns. You have to recognize maybe how you are using food. Um, as an example, I, I have I in my I continue to have to recognize how am I using food because of things I'm addicted to in it, or how am I using it to respond to strong emotions, or how am I using it to respond to stress? Um, so. That awareness piece is just becoming conscious of how you, are, you know, in, in lifestyle medicine, we say food is medicine. Food is medicine. Food is, in many ways, being used as a drug, too, in, in, in the sense that, like, these food companies have created, um, have created products that, that they specifically designed to be addictive. They, they they design them to be addictive. They they in food science they use this term the bliss point, which maybe you've heard of, which is when you have the perfect amount of fat and, and and salt and sugar and really the dopamine release is is such that somebody feels this sense of pleasure in the moment. And they make the food crunchy. They make the food crunchy to mimic what it. It's like when you bite into a fresh apple or a carrot, but there's no fiber and micronutrients to the stomach and the body is sort of expecting those things, doesn't get those things, just wants to keep eating it. There's Yeah, and with more sugar, you don't feel full. You don't feel full.
0: With more sugar, one you doesn't feel, tend to You're not, not actually
1: nourishing the body. Yeah, so they've, they've, they've designed these products to do that. And the food environment is very much created by these large multinational food companies that own and, and, and basically create most of the food environment that most people are used to. Like if they go to the supermarket, that entire food environment is created by these companies in terms of what products they see and where they're seeing them and where on the shelf and so yeah, that has defined the health of our population where these food companies have so much control um, and not much regulation, to be honest.
0: No, no, I really like what you say because you describe food as, I mean, food, yeah, I mean, food can really be a drug and it, it, there's addictive qualities to it. But getting back to the point where you see food as nourishment and I think to understand our relationship with food sometimes mindset is important to distinguish it that way, or to like you say to interrupt the patterns to see what the triggers are for you that interrupt the patterns about the in which about how you see food so that you don't see it as a drug or for comfort like that. I think we have like a mis notion in our like very fast paced world where things are very convenient sometimes. That food should be fast, like grabbing for a bag of Cheetos when you're hungry. But I think the truth is for health, sometimes it's not fast. But I think meditation is a way to like appropriately, you know, to appropriately respond to the known triggers in your life, right? Could it be stress or I don't know, why you have impulses, but it's like to have that delay to sit with it, you know, or to think about it it's kind of an interesting approach so you don't grab for the first thing that you see but to delay it to sit with it to perhaps let go of it too if you can
1: to let go of it if you can I think of that a lot nowadays when I get angry because um because there is you know in, this, in these ways, when you, when you meditate, when you create this space, when you become more aware of how you're reacting, and you also start to realize that anger, that anger is actually just something you're creating in yourself, and it's only affecting you. And you don't feel good. It doesn't feel good. And so letting go, like, how do I, okay, that thing happened, and it was upsetting. And do I have to feel this way? Like, do I have to feel really terrible? <laughs> no, I don't want to feel terrible. Actually, I want to feel good. Okay, well, how do I feel good? i letting go. Like we all. Meet. And then that's the sort of um, you know. I really love um, Kristen Neff. Kristen Neff, who studied self-compassion at UT Austin, and she has. Uh, mindful self-compassion. Mindful self-compassion, and there's three components to it. And that is this one that uh, your your experience is, is not just your experience. There are many people going through whatever it is you're sitting with. So if you're sitting with something really hard that you made a mistake, let's say you made a mistake, I don't know, you made a mistake at work, Doctors, we think about this a lot of the time. You work in the it hospital. It happens. Let's say, right? Happens, right? Let's say you made a mistake at work, and our self tendency is to just beat ourselves up and tell ourselves the worst story about ourselves. Wow, you made this mistake! How terrible is that? Think about all the worst case scenarios and just feel very terrible and bad about the whole situation, even if nothing bad happened. We still, we still do that thinking about what could have happened and I can't believe I did that and how did I look and all these things, you start thinking. Um, so in mindful self-compassion, you're, so you're reminded that, okay, I'm not the only one that has me. You know, other people have done this. This is something that sometimes happens, right?
0: We're and human.
1: We're human. And then seeing that, you know, it's also not about like sugar pudding right? So the next piece is this, like, seeing the the moment for what it is. This is the mindfulness piece. So this is really recognizing, like, okay, that thing did happen. Like, I sit with that. It happened. It it doesn't feel good. And, like, why did it happen? Like, was it because, and you may, like, realize something. Like, maybe I'm, like, not getting enough sleep when I come to my shift. I'm not saying it's like you're going to find out it's your fault per se but you or you need to recognize maybe be more maybe cognizant yeah aspects of like the scenario that is to say like you know we, we shouldn't beat ourselves up and that's the third piece of this the third piece of this is then you talk to yourself like you would talk to a friend and if you had a friend who made a mistake who's generally feeling bad about it who's a good person who um you know everybody makes mistakes everybody makes mistakes what would you say to that friend that's what you would say you would say everybody you know you're you're not a bad person because this happened and you're very well intentioned and these are the things i'd say to my friend and so you say those things to yourself and that's actually a really powerful little mindful minute that one can do whenever they're dealing with any sort of thing
0: And like you said, maybe kindness is like a huge component of the journey, right? Because I wish things were picture perfect, you know, but things often are not picture perfect. And I think, you know, sometimes like, I think a lot of us are prone to that self-abuse when something goes wrong, right? Or we sometimes we hide it better than others. I think doctors hide it very, very well, but we're all prone to that self-abuse. And I think sometimes there's really painful lessons to be learned when things don't go well. But I think something that's really helped me and you bring it up, there's many different terms for it, right? The mindfulness, even spirituality to know that you're not alone, that even though when you really want to hate yourself, that there's something out there where you're supported, whatever that is, I think that also really helps. We don't talk about spirituality in an accepted way. You know, it's considered, you know, woohoo kind of thing. But to know that there's something beyond you that's rooting for you, even when you're not entirely rooting for yourself. I I love this. I
1: love that you're bringing this up because um, I think about this a lot. Maybe mindfulness is connecting
0: with that, you know? Yeah, this is something
1: I've thought about a lot, even since I was a kid. Um, So I grew up Hindu and Hinduism is like, you know, Hindu philosophy is um, like I learned at a very young age that we have a piece of God within us. We all do. That's how my mom explained it to me, and she also. We lived across the street from a um, a church, a large church, Catholic church, and I remember also at a young age asking her about that, and she told me. She said, "You know, people see God comes to yeah, God is." comes to, to people in different ways, in many different ways. And, and, and that is a, a different tradition on how they have see God. And, um, and then this idea that like, what is that? And it's this sort of supreme energy. It's this, it's, you can't even really describe it in, in our uh, five sensory world, right?
0: Yeah. And I, I want to say I really like your website, by the way, because I like how you came up with three essential ing- ingredients, which you call "Rock" R-A-K, which stands for Roots, Awareness and Kindness. And with what you're saying right now, I really believe that like we can't do anything really like we, it's hard to get to a goal if you're unkind to yourself, because usually to get to a goal, that path is very, very rocky. You know, and sometimes it takes forgiving yourself or or to continue even when it's hard, you know, to get there. It's like impossible without kindness to yourself and especially like a lifestyle journey where you're, you're changing all of your patterns, your behaviors, your habits, stuff that you've known and taking a leap of faith for your actual health. You can't do it without kindness.
1: That's right. That's right. So that's it. That's it. That's right. Kindness, I always say it's kindness for yourself and self-compassion we kind of talked about. And then kindness for others. My website has a fist bump as a logo. And um, I ask myself, you know, why do we give people fist bumps? Right? Why do we give people fist bumps? For connection? <laughs> for connection. For <laughs> connection. For celebration. For sound. Ce- I'm like, oh I'm I'm showing up for you for support. Mm-hmm. For 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 connection. Cheering someone
0: connection.
1: on. Cheering someone on. Cheering someone on. That's right. And so one of the things I do is I fist bump myself <laughs> in the morning, in the mirror. I just say I, I borrowed that habit from Mel Robbins. Yes, you know Mel Robbins. Mel Robbins, Mel Robbins, she's um, an author, speaker, and she has these very simple habits on how to really improve your mindset and your life. And so one of them is the high-five habit, where every morning you high-five yourself in the mirror. So I I changed that. I have the fist bump habit, and I fist bump myself. Um, Because when you see yourself in the mirror and you do it, there's something about the seeing, and um, we have a part of our brain, this particular activating system. And so what you look at and what you um, see and then think that's important, then it starts to look for examples of that in your life. So it's like if, you know, Mel gives this example. If you buy a new car, and suddenly, and you, you know, you bought a Subaru, so you start seeing the same Subaru all around, like your brain is like looking for that because it views that as... So if you see yourself in the morning and you look at yourself and you really look at yourself and you say, I'm showing up for you today, right? I'm showing up for you today, I'm, I'm celebrating you today. And then you start to look for examples of that in your life. Where can I show up for myself today? where can I celebrate myself today? Like, that's really cool. That's, that's a mindset trick. I don't know if it's a trick, but it's, it's, it's a way to um, change that relationship with yourself towards kindness, towards kindness. So kindness for yourself, kindness for others, kindness for others. Cause you know, that feels really good too. When you show, when you feel compassion and, if you ever done in meditation, like there's a loving kindness meditation or like metta, we call metta, um, that you wishing, uh, starts usually starts by wishing for yourself, uh, that you may be uh, at ease, that you may be in good health, that you may have joy, that um, you may be free of suffering. And, and there can be any number of phrases, but you start, you, you, you envision those things for yourself and then for others and then for somebody that you know, is close to you and then for acquaintances, for example, and to the point where that it creates this light in you, this, this energy in you that you can start to emanate out and you can start to imagine in the meditation, you'll start to imagine that's emanating around the world. And it just fills you up and then it fills everyone up too. And it's coming from this place of how, because people say like, you call it compassion fatigue. You've heard of compassion fatigue in medicine, especially. And that I think is a misnomer. It's probably more likely empathy fatigue. So to feel compassion, to feel that you want to, I want you to be free of suffering. Right, that actually feels very good. I can see that you're suffering and I want you to be free of suffering. That makes me feel good because I want you to feel good. I'm not saying empathy is not important. Empathy, you know, is when you're struggling and then I take on that struggle. And then suddenly, like, I feel it too. And There's only so much struggle that any one person can take on in their life.
0: I really like that metaphor that you use because I think you're basically saying in order to really help anyone else, you have to help yourself first. Like that meditation that you described, you start with yourself. Like if you hate yourself, you can't really like wish the best for someone else because you're depleted, you know? And I think with that compassion or you know, what you were saying, empathy, if you don't show empathy on yourself first, it's hard to spread it out. And, you know, I, I think of like the mandala, you know, how like the mandala goes out, like almost like a chrysanthemum, like you're at the center of it, like God is within all of us. And to recognize that, right, because sometimes we don't, we forget that we forget that God's in all of us, no matter what we've done. But to to embrace that inner knowing, because Because it's just really, really hard, you know? And I think, like, especially with lifestyle changes, I think, you know, it's hard to embrace new changes. It's going to take a really long time, you know?
1: So the, the, the last part of kindness then, the last part of kindness then is that, is actually that the changes you make should be kind changes.
0: Yeah. And you may not see immediate changes, don't you think, with lifestyle changes, like, like it's it's a it's an ongoing path
1: That's right. Cuz a kind change for me like if I'm if yeah, depends on where I'm starting. Depends on where I'm starting and what I'm capable of and what I'm ready for and what makes sense for me. And that's different for every person. I think if there's an acknowledgement that I want to move on this path and I see that there's a path and I see that there's a destination. It's not even about the destination. It's about the journey. And I see that this journey is gonna open up a new way of being, a new way of living. And it's gonna be good for me. And it's gonna be good for me and it's gonna be good for the, the people that I care about. Then um, how how that journey proceeds is gonna be very different for different people, right? And I think the way that journey proceeds is with kindness because so many diets so many even conceptions of exercise lifestyle change they're framed as punishments. and you know what how do i restrict myself how do i push myself so hard in the gym so that i'm sweating i mean i see things like orange theory and these boot camps i think those appeal to some people i think some people really they they like that. And if you do that consistently, yeah, you'll enjoy that. You might get all, like a no, you know, a high off of that, right. Because of the cannabinoids and the opiates and the endorphins that you're releasing. But if you're not, if, if you're someone who doesn't exercise, like that's a terrible idea, right? Because that's, that's a setup for you to potentially get injured or, yeah. You know jumping off and a diving board when go you can't swim periodically they're like oh I and I've talked to patients like I gone I went to orange theory for 2 months and I really liked it but I couldn't keep going it's like yeah because you will only punish yourself for so long before mm-hmm. uh you decide something stressful will happen and the same thing is when you're eating and you tell yourself I'm not going to have that I'm not going to have that I'm going to cut my portions down
0: I'm not going to have
1: that and then after some person says something or something happens. you go back to eating the thing you go back to to because you can only punish yourself for so long so kind changes are they're not punishments they're they're actually opportunities where you recognize this is something different this is something good for me it's not the same it's different but let me let me focus on not just like food, for example, let me just focus on how it tastes, it should taste good, but also how it makes me feel,
0: how my energy
1: levels are, like how it affects my mood, like these are things that are harder to sort of connect with, but then you start to become more aware of how food affects those things. Then you start becoming disillusioned with, we were talking about candy, <laughs> it's exactly right, it's, it, it's exactly that, you start to become disillusioned.
0: Yeah. Can I ask you, so Dr. Rock, considering that we know how lifestyle um, habits are associated with chronic disease, how can we make changing our habits easier and consistent?
1: Yeah. How can we make changing our habits easier and consistent? Um, That they should be easy and consistent. So that's, that's a good place to start. It's like, what is the change you're trying to make, and is it easy? I mean, this is a famous book, right? James Clear, Atomic Habits. He talks about what he it? the two-minute rule. You should break down any habit, any new habit you're trying to form. To what is just the first two minutes of it, and then commit to doing that. So if it means like putting your shoes on, now I don't know. That to varying degrees may work for people. There's another gentleman, BJ Fogg, at Stanford. You've heard of BJ Fogg. He, he started, he's created this system called Tiny Habits. Tiny Habits, like so he gives the example in his book. You go to the restroom to pee, and then you do a push-up. And then next time, you know, he did that for a week, and then next week he'd do two push-ups and then three push-ups and four push-ups. And slowly over time, he's doing like 50 push-ups a day. Because he's built this tiny habit. That's one way to do it. My whole system, roots, awareness, kindness, is really like um, first ground yourself in like why you want to make the change. Like, why is it important to you? If you're talking about a healthy lifestyle, like why do you want to be healthy? What are who is gonna benefit? You are gonna benefit, how are you going to benefit? I'm gonna feel better I'm gonna have better sleep I'm gonna have less pain. Other people might benefit. who's gonna benefit? My children might benefit, but they definitely benefit you know so or I may take care of elderly parents. They will benefit if I'm in good health they'll benefit uh there's so many things right? My partner will benefit. We're gonna retire soon. My partner and I are gonna travel if i'm in good health my partners going to benefit and then awareness is and so that's your that's your that's your lighthouse that's your sort of like why am i doing this because even if the change even if the changes we're talking about they're kind changes they're still different they're still different than what you're used to you're still interrupting old patterns potentially trying to break old habits old habits by the way which are foods you're addicted to which are, you know, these chemical addictions because of what they've done to the food or devices you're addicted to, or, you know, a lot of it is that you're up against real, um, real addictions. So it's not easy necessarily. It does require, like you said, it requires work, requires effort, requires effort, but the effort is aligned once it's aligned with sort of this deeper meaning, this deeper purpose, then the effort, it kind of goes back to what we're talking about, where right? people don't necessarily put in this hard work um, with their job if it's not aligned with, their, with what's meaningful to them. Same is if you're not making changes because they're aligned with what's meaningful to you. And many people may not even be aware of, like how their changes are in alignment with or not in alignment their their daily habits their daily many people will if you do this um this exercise of asking yourself what what is meaningful what is important to me and then you do this exercise of saying what is it that i do on a consistent basis is it in alignment with this so if my health is so important to me uh, because I know that my children are relying on me to be healthy, then am, am I making daily choices or are my daily habits in alignment with the my best health? That's the type of thing I started asking myself.
0: And I think we need to be mindful. This is not a diet. This is a lifestyle. You know, this is not a diet. This is like changing your habits. And to change one's lifestyle, yeah, it's it's not easy. And I think to understand when you need to ask for help, like for me, I was wondering how I could introduce more plant-based uh, cooking into my diet. Like, how do we make vegetables taste tasty? You know, like I'm used to like meat. I'm used to being, you know, meat being like a part of every single like meal, right? Like, especially bulgogi, you know, cut right? It, it needs to be charred right. and sweet. Oh, but right. like I needed to learn, right? Oh, I so, like I went for a cooking lesson. The, the all-you-can-eat yeah. Korean
1: barbecue restaurant.
0: <laughs> exactly, I mean, I right? For comfort. But like I went to a cooking lesson to my friend's house because I had no idea how to work with vegetables. And I think it's important for people to know if you feel stuck in your life, and if you feel stuck, you know, for a while, and you 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 would like to consider lifestyle changes it's helpful when you find someone to talk with you, like a lifestyle doctor, such as yourself, someone to hold your hand, someone to connect with, because it's definitely a process. It's not something fast.
1: Yeah, totally. There is, um, I think there's a different paradigm when you start looking at uh, lifestyle medicine as the, the sort of foundation of health in terms of like how we have a relationship with our patients and how we follow them over time. Because I think in the current system, most of the current system, like it's it's very much like an urgent care system that's an acute care system that's also I think applied to chronic disease management. So somebody, um, if somebody breaks their bone then absolutely they need to come in to the hospital, I mean, to the doctor and get urgent acute care, right? If somebody has diabetes, which is, a, you know, in most cases, um, type 2 diabetes caused by lifestyle, caused by, these are chronic lifestyle diseases. And so their food environment and their lack of movement and these things have created the disease. Um, but then we respond to it, we're like, oh, this circumstance exists you have elevated blood sugars, here's the medication to lower your blood sugar. So we haven't done anything to address those underlying causes, the food environment, the lack of movement, the stress, um, perhaps and the causes of stress, um, for the individual. So then, um, they invariably take the medication and then, you know, at some point they need more medication because. The underlying disease has has worsened. Um, that's our current that's our current system, a system where you have um, you start with a sort of uh, meaningful exploration of what's important to the patient. What's you know we in in medicine we we do this very well. I think we're increasingly doing this very well at the end of life. If somebody. Um, you know, is on their deathbed, and we ask them, What's important to you? And how do you want to spend this time? And how do we align our care with those values? And I would argue we should be doing that from the very beginning, from the first time we meet the patient.
0: And I really like what you have on your website. You say, After more than 15 years of working in healthcare, I've learned that in the US, we don't have a healthcare system. We have a sick care system. I think that's really the truth. And something else that you mentioned, which I can't help but think is so true, is that this is absolute truth, and I agree with you. Traditionally, doctors don't receive training in the role of lifestyle habits on health. So true. I totally agree. And as gross as this is, and that's my perspective, the truth is that there are more financial incentives to diagnose more illnesses. That's the truth. We're not stopping the train. We're just adding to it, you know. And what if you know the traditional doctor really understands how to give you medications, but not not change the the lifestyle? It's a you know, we didn't learn that.
1: So there are newer models of primary care. Are you familiar with like ChenMed or Oak Street, for example?
0: No. These value-based care
1: organizations. No, um, in fact, they're. Um, like Oak Street is publicly traded. Um, It's another one, Iora, which I think was bought by One Medical and One Medical is now bought by Amazon. But these are um, value-based care organizations, you know, so they're working on a model where they get paid per member, capitated model. They're generally working with, um, you know, older patients then on Medicare who have, chronic diseases. Um, but the model is flipped. This is high-touch care. It's almost like concierge care. That's, in fact, Chen Men, I think I started calling it that concierge care, but these are for high-risk seniors with multiple medical problems, but they get many touches. And um, I was at Plant-Based Nutrition Conference in September, the annual Plantrition Conference. And Oak Street, which is one of these value-based care companies, they sent someone um, to learn about um, plant-based eating because they recognize that, you know, their model, actually, they do better financially when patients uh, reverse disease, when they stay out of the hospital, certainly, and when they're healthier. They get paid more. Actually, there's an upside. So they get, they don't just get that lump sum payment, they get a bonus. When the patients do better medically. Um, and this is how Medicare is experimenting because our current fee for service model isn't sustainable. The Part A of Medicare Trust Fund is estimated now to run out in 2028. Now, I know this country doesn't have a problem, unfortunately, spending in more and creating more debt. However, you know. They're acutely aware that hasn't happened. There's been always this risk that the Medicare Trust Fund would um so it doesn't mean Medicare benefits will stop, it just means that there's more eye now on trying to create a a, a, a more financially viable system, the fee for service system that encourages illness, you know, it's like you. More catheterizations, you, cardiac catheterizations you do at a cath center, the better your business.
0: It's like an ethical problem. I think
1: so. I think yeah. so. But um, it's know, a big system. Especially when you can and avoid
0: so this- that. You can prevent it. You know, There's knowledge.
1: 80, 90% of chronic disease is preventable um, with the right lifestyle change.
0: Yeah. And sometimes to make lifestyle changes, we all need help, you know, (laughs) handholding definitely helps to be guided by someone. Certainly. Can I, can I end with this one question? Because a lot of people say this, right? Like a lot of people say that after they've achieved some kind of weight loss, that eventually they gain all the weight back. So how did you not revert when you lost almost 70 pounds?
1: I think a lot of people do lose weight
0: and regain
1: weight. I I go back to how did they lose that weight? And if they lost that weight through dieting, through um, a form of restriction or punishment, that they were able to continue for a certain amount of time, where after a certain amount of time, they they weren't able to continue it. And, um, you know, it's not to say that lifestyle... You can make lifestyle changes and then then keep them forever. Um, but if you start to make changes, I, I started by trying to eat 80%. No, I started by actually just trying to eat plant-based once a week for a year. And after I did that for a year, I said, okay, I'm going to do this 80% of the time. And after I did 80% of the time, I realized I actually enjoy eating it 90%. Oh, I actually enjoy eating it. Meaning like my health is benefiting. I feel better. Uh, I'm I have more energy. Like I there's there there's so many benefits I'm taking from this. Let me figure out how to eat this way all the time. And to do that, I said, how do I find things that I really love, that I really enjoy? So I have this oatmeal every morning, which is just Oats and well, I eat it like late in the morning, or like sometimes for lunch. Sometimes I don't eat breakfast. Um, Oftentimes I don't eat breakfast, so I eat. But it's but it is my breakfast, right? So uh, I love that. I eat it every day. I eat it, and I'm like, this tastes so good. Like I, my family, my kids know this. That I'm just enjoying it so much. So I am more you can find things it's not just about removing things from your life, it's about replacing them with things that you also find enjoyable, and then recognizing that it's not just about the taste or the experience in the moment, it's about how does this fuel my long-term health, my long-term vision for myself, my the story I want to tell about myself, the identity, the self-identity I hold for myself and your roots. And then if you do that in a way where you have awareness and you make changes that are both good for you and also feel good, kind changes, and then you show up and you show up for yourself, you show compassion for yourself and you show up for the people that are important for you. And that's it. That's how you, that's how I've been
0: able to make change. Yeah, and it's not just the diet. It's really literally changing how you live and maybe even changing your relationship with food, how you see food. You know, for the grander for the grander goal of living well and being healthy. And it's a process, you know, like and I think that's why the stuff that you say being aware of the roots, being aware, being kind to yourself so key in making these grand changes into your life. Dr. Rock, thank you so much for this conversation. As always, so fun. Thank you.
1: Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I um so much there, and I appreciate you um just being so curious about me and and what I what I'm trying to accomplish and and, and letting me share that with with your audience. I appreciate that so much.
0: How can our uh, audience members find you?
1: Great. Um well, they can connect with me. So I go by, actually, Dr. My first name is rockage and I go by Rock. Ever since I was a kid, my brother, my cousins, my friends, even when I went off to school and I didn't tell them my name is Rock, they started calling me Rock. So um, I go by Rock, but I go by Dr. Rock. That's R-A-K. And um, you can find my website is Life, R-A-K, your life, Y-O-U-R-L-I-F-E dot O-R-G. Um, it's, it, it, it's in need of, of more content. I will say that it's something I recently started, but that's something I'm, I'm actively working on. Um, but you can find me there and you can find, um, me on Instagram, rock your life. And, um, yeah, that's probably the best way to connect with me. And, um, it was such a pleasure to be on this show and you are so patient to listen to all my talking but um really digest everything i'm saying and have so many insightful um comments and opinions about everything so thank you thank you michelle
0: thanks for listening to lost or found with dr michelle Choi. If you're loving the podcast, please tell your friends, subscribe, and leave us a great review. And follow Michelle on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. For more information, visit our website, drlosterfound.com.